Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, and uh, reading verses 2 down to 8 again. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved, is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my lip hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am sick with love. The Song of Solomon is an ancient love song that was written by Solomon, the son of David. It's a song which celebrates human love, the love between a man and a woman. It's a song that celebrates royal love, the love between King Solomon and his Shilamite princess, his Shilamite bride. And it's a song which celebrates divine love, the love between the Lord and his people. And today we're going to be considering this fifth chapter of this song as we prepare our minds and as we prepare our hearts for coming to the Lord's table tonight. This morning we're going to consider verses 2 down to 8 under three headings, the approach, the absence, and then the appeal. First we have the approach. Look at verses 2 and 3. Here the bride focuses on the approach of her beloved. In verse 2, the bride records her beloved's approach. We can begin by noting where the bride is. She's sleeping, but at the same time, her heart is awake. She is half awake, she is half asleep. She is drifting off, but her mind is still alert. Her mind is still active. And we can note what the bride hears in this condition. As she is drifting off to sleep, she hears a sound. And she recognizes it to be the sound of her beloved knocking. Some people have a very distinctive knock. I don't know if any of the younger ones here ever watch uh, Big Bang Theory and you've got Sheldon, this kind of eccentric character who always has to knock on a door about three times and people always know that it's him even though he announces it's Sheldon. Well, at the same time, this man has a distinctive knock and as soon as the bride hears the knock at the door, she knows that it's him. But she doesn't simply hear her beloved knocking She also hears him talking. He is appealing to her to open the door, to to let him in. And as he appeals to her, he addresses her using the most elevated of language. He calls her my sister, emphasizing their close relationship. He calls her my love, emphasizing his deep affection. He calls her my dove, emphasizing her gentleness and grace. And he calls her my perfect one, emphasizing that as far as he is concerned, she is flawless. And as he stands knocking, he announces that his head is wet with dew, his locks with the drops of the night. 
He has not come to her on a nice, cool morning. He has not come to her on a warm afternoon. He has not come to her on a dry evening. He has come to her on a cold and damp night. But nothing and no one will hinder him. Nothing and no one will hold him back. Nothing and no one will keep him from her. Then in verse 3, the bride records her attitude to the beloved's approach. She has just heard this most beautiful request. Her beloved has appealed to her to open the door. He has addressed her as my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. And he has announced that not even a cold and damp night is going to keep him from her. And this beautiful request is met with a blunt refusal. The bride tells him that she has put off her garment and is reluctant to put it on again. She tells him that she has bathed her feet and is reluctant to soil them. She has gotten ready for bed and she can't be bothered getting up. Can't be bothered crossing the floor. Can't be bothered opening the door. Can't be bothered spending some quality time with him. She says, now isn't a good time for me. Maybe tomorrow, maybe another day. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded that the Lord desires communion with his people. The Lord desires fellowship with his people. The woman in this song hears her beloved knocking on her door and talking to her. He appeals to her to let him in. He addresses her as my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. And he announces that nothing and no one will keep him or hold him back from her. And that is how Jesus is with his people. Jesus wants to have fellowship and intimacy with his people. Jesus wants to enjoy closeness and communion with his people. Jesus is the one who tells the Christians in Laodicea that he wants to sit with them and eat with them, as we see in Revelation chapter 3. He is the one who makes every effort, endures every hardship, experiences every pain and discomfort in order to be with his people. He cannot get close enough to them. One older writer has said, he stands and knocks and entreats as if it were a favour to himself to obtain admission. I'll say that again. He stands and knocks and entreats as if it were a favour to himself to obtain admission. This is no Jesus who tolerates his people. This is no Jesus who grudges spending five or ten minutes with his people. This is the Jesus who joyfully looks at his people as a bridegroom looks at his bride, as we see in Isaiah 62. This is the Jesus who loves to say, you're mine. You're mine. And I, and I love spending time with you. But as we consider these verses, we're also being reminded that the Lord's people can have very little desire for any communion with him. The Lord's people can have very little desire for any fellowship with him. The woman in this song hears her beloved's request to let him in, and she refuses. She tells him that she has gotten herself washed and gotten herself ready for bed. She has said to him, now isn't a convenient time. And sometimes that is how the Lord's people can be toward him. We become lukewarm. We become lethargic. We become insensitive. We become indifferent to him. We hear him saying, let's spend some time together. And we say things like, but my living room carpet needs a bit more attention. I need to do the hoovering. 
we say things like, but the, the, the issues of the day are more pressing. It's a busy day ahead. I really don't have time to spend in your word. I really don't have time to call on you in prayer. We say things like, but my social media account is so interesting. Just let me spend that time on Facebook. Let me spend that time on Instagram and I'll give you five minutes at a push. We say things like, I'm just too tired. I've had a busy day. I've had a busy week and maybe I'll spend time with you another time. Like the woman in this song, we can come up with all manner of reasons and excuses for not spending time with Jesus. And you know what, friends? I know that I am speaking to at least one person in this room. And I know that person very, very well. And that is myself. But I wouldn't be surprised if I'm addressing others in this room as well. Sometimes we can just be too busy to spend time with Jesus. But we move second to the absence. Look at verses 4 down to 6. The bride now focuses on the absence of her beloved. Verse 4, we see the arousal. We can know what the bride sees. She has just refused her beloved's request to open the door. She, She doesn't want to spend any time with him, but he wants to spend time with her. This is his beloved. This is his friend. This is his sister. This is his bride. This is the one whom he doesn't want to be separated from. And he now puts his hand to the latch of her door. He is trying to get in. He is not going to just take no for an answer. We can also know what the bride feels about this. As she becomes aware of her beloved's determination to be with her, her heart is thrilled. That word thrilled refers to an intense longing, an emotional longing. It's almost an Maybe some of you know this better than others. It's almost a sense of she begins to get butterflies as she sees how eager her beloved is to spend time with her. She comes to her senses. She realizes how foolish she has been. We move from the arousal to the action. Look at verses 5 and 6. The woman rises. She has been half awake, half asleep, lying in bed, lounging around in bed, too lethargic to cross the room, too lethargic to open the door to him. But now she rises from her bed. She gets up. The woman dips her hands in liquid myrrh. She hastily puts on some perfume. You know what it's like. You, you go to bed and you get all hot and sweaty and smelly. And so she says, well, I better put some perfume on. I better make myself as presentable to him as possible. I don't have time to wash, but at least put some fragrance on me. And then she opens the door. That is the door that her beloved has been knocking on. That is the door that her beloved has been trying to get through. That is the door that her beloved has been met with a cold refusal from the woman. But now she rises to open the door. And we move from the action to the absence. Look at verse 6. Upon opening the door, the bride discovers that her beloved has removed himself. She's opened the door expecting to see him just standing there. Maybe holding a box of chocolates or a bunch of flowers. But she's disappointed. She's dismayed. She's devastated. And she finds that he has turned away. And he's not just turned away. Look at the words. He has gone away. He has removed himself. And we see her reaction to his removal. Her soul, her inner being, faints. She is almost left without any breath in her. 
She starts searching for him, but she can't find him. She starts calling out for him, but there is no answer. She had been pushing him away, pushing him away through her indifference, pushing him away through her insensitivity, pushing him away through her lethargy, pushing him away through her lukewarmness. And you know what happens, friends. Sometimes when you push someone away, you push them away just too much. And now he's gone. He's left. He's nowhere to be seen. He's got the message he knows when he's not wanted. And you know, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded that there can be times when the Lord will withdraw himself from his people for a season. There can be times when the Lord will withdraw from his people for a season. The woman in the song experiences her beloved turning away and leaving her. She had refused him, and now he removes himself from her so that she is made to look for him. And that is how Jesus will sometimes deal with his people. When we speak about the Christian life, we need to think of it in terms of union and communion with Jesus. Our union with Jesus is our relationship with him, our bond with him, our connection to him. Our communion with Jesus is our fellowship with him, our enjoyment of his presence, our enjoyment of his love. And what we need to remember, friends, is that while our union with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus can never change, our communion with him, our fellowship with him can. Benjamin Skoug writes, While our union with Christ cannot be hindered or broken, the sweetness and intimacy of our fellowship with Christ can be hampered through sin. Much like a marriage can be hurt when a covenant partner commits wrong, so too can our communion with Christ suffer when we fail to demonstrate our love to him through obedience. Each moment of willful sin can erode and chip away at our communion with Christ. Let me say that last bit again. Each moment of willful sin can erode and chip away at our communion with Jesus. And perhaps that's been the experience of some of us in recent days, recent weeks, recent months, recent years. There were once days when we knew the Lord's presence, knew his love. It was the most real thing in the world to us. We knew his love more than we knew the love of our husbands, our wives, our boyfriends, our girlfriends. But then we became lukewarm. We became lethargic, we became indifferent, we became insensitive to him. We prioritized our own comforts, we prioritized our own convenience above closeness with him. And because of this, he withdrew. He withheld himself. He withheld that sense of his presence, withheld that sense of his love. The union, the relationship remains intact. But the communion, the fellowship has been impeded. And it's in need of repair. My friend, if you're here today and you're not enjoying a sense of the Lord's presence and love, if you're here today and experiencing something of the Lord's absence, I want you to take heart. What you are going through doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord has finished with you, washed his hands off you. He has not broken his covenant bond with you. He has not annulled, he has not dissolved his union, his relationship with you. Julian Hardiman writes, 
that sense of absence is given to you by the Lord to make you seek after him all the more because you feel so incomplete without him. Are you feeling his absence today? Are you feeling a sense of a loss of fellowship? If you are, friend, then let this passage encourage you to seek after him. Let this passage encourage you to call out for him. Let this passage encourage you to do all you can to see your communion, your fellowship with him, repaired and restored. It's awful, isn't it, friends? I've known it, and I'm sure most of us have known it at times, that we know that we are united to Jesus. We know we're in a relationship with him. But we don't enjoy it. We don't feel any fellowship. Third and finally, we come to the appeal. Look at verses 7 and 8. The bride now focuses on her appeal concerning her beloved. Her appeal concerning her beloved. In verse 7, we see the assault. We can note who the bride meets at the beginning of verse 7. She has gone looking for her beloved and she is crying out for him. And as she is looking for him, she is found by the watchman of the city. And we can note not simply what the bride meets, but also what she experiences. The watchmen beat her. In fact, they beat her so severely that she is left bruised. And they go further and they they remove her veil. She is left exposed. She's in a shameful condition. It's clear that in their treatment of the bride, the watchmen do not realize that she is the bride of the king. It's night. The only women who went about the streets at night were prostitutes. Any self-respecting woman, any reputable woman would not be walking the streets at night. She would be at home either with her parents or with her husband. That is what was expected in that culture. But this woman has gone out at night looking for her beloved. And the watchmen think to themselves, this is a prostitute. This is a streetwalker. This is someone going to Jerusalem's red light district. We better teach her a lesson that this is not the appropriate way to behave. And so they beat her and they leave her exposed. Then in verse 8, we move from the assault to the appeal. The bride's undeterred by the assault. And she speaks now to the daughters of Jerusalem. The daughters of Jerusalem are the young men of the city. They are the friends. They are the contemporaries of the bride. And she appeals to them to bring a word to her beloved. She adjures them. She urges them to make a solemn promise, a solemn oath. And she asks them to speak to her beloved if she finds him. She's been seeking after him. But up until now, she can't find him. She's been calling out for him. But up until now, there has been no answer. But she's hopeful that her friends might have more success. Hopeful that her contemporaries might have more success. And isn't it interesting that she still identifies the king as my beloved. She's still using covenant language. She's still using marriage language. She recognizes that her communion with the king has been broken. But she also recognizes that her union with him, her marriage to him, remains intact. 
and she tells the daughters of Jerusalem what they are to say if they find her beloved. I was telling my dad today I was going to quote a Bob Dylan song at today's service, that it would be the first time maybe the high had ever heard Bob Dylan on a communion Sunday. And in 1975, Bob Dylan recorded the album Blood on the Tracks. It's an album where he describes his estrangement from his wife, Sarah. And on one of the songs he sings, it's maybe my favourite Bob Dylan song of all time, If you see her, say hello. She might be in Tangier. She left here last early spring, is living there I hear. Say for me that I'm all right, though things get kind of slow. She might think that I've forgotten her, don't tell her. It isn't so. We had a falling out like lovers often will. And to think of how she left that night, it still brings me a chill. And though our separation, it pierced me to the heart. She still lives inside of me. We have never been apart. If you see her, say hello. And here we find the bride speaking to her friends. Speaking to her contemporaries and saying to them, If you see my beloved, tell him that I am sick with love. Tell him that I am fainting, that I am failing, that I am falling apart without him. Tell him that I cannot go on without him. Tell him that life simply isn't worth living when he is absent, when he's not around. And the stage is now set for what will follow in verses 9 through to 16 that we'll focus on this evening. But as we consider these verses, we're being reminded about the importance of appealing to others to pray for us when we're aware of the Lord's absence. The importance of appealing to others when we are feeling the Lord's absence. The woman in this song appeals to the daughters of Jerusalem. She tells them that the king is still her beloved. Yes, she's been behaving in a wrong way. Yes, her behavior had seemed to suggest that there was no relationship between them. But he is still her beloved. And she asks them to tell him that she is sick with love. That she is a broken shell. She is a a broken shadow of all that she had once been without him. She, She wants him. She needs him, she misses him, she loves him, and she is asking them to bring her case to her beloved. If you see him, say hello. If you see him, tell him, I am sick with love. And that, friends, is what we are to do when we are aware of a breach in our communion with Jesus. Do you know what, friends? There is always a danger that when a Christian is aware of a break in their communion with Jesus that they begin to break off having communion with the Lord's people. I know that. I see it happening. People who feel that the Lord is absent, and so they begin to absent themselves from his people. But this song gives us an example and an encouragement to go to the daughters of Jerusalem. Go to Christian friends. Go to brothers and sisters in Christ. Go to partners in the gospel. Saying to them, pray for me. Bring my case to the true and better Solomon. Bring my situation to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Tell my beloved that I am a shell and a shadow of what I used to be and want to be. Tell my Jesus that I want him. Tell him that I need him. Tell him that I miss him. Tell him that I love him. William Cowper, a man who was no stranger to dark days in the Christian life, wrote a poem entitled Seeking the Beloved, where he writes, 
To those who love the Lord I speak, is my beloved near. The bridegroom of my soul I seek, oh, when will he appear? Such Jesus is and such his grace. Oh, may he shine on you and tell him when you see his face. I long to see him too. Do you catch that? Tell him when you see his face. I long to see him too. Cowper was honest enough to let his friends know that he wasn't feeling the Lord's nearness and humble enough to ask them to pray for him. And the question is, friends, are we willing to appeal to others when we feel that the Lord is absent, when we don't feel his love? Will we stop saying to people, I am doing fine, and start saying to people, I'm struggling to see my Jesus? And will we make ourselves available to others when they too might be experiencing the same, coming alongside people saying, let me pray for you. Let me bring your case to Jesus.